Greetings, Parish Orbans and Retrogrades. Bishop Stephen D. Parks of the Savannah Diocese has announced that the traditional Latin masses in his diocese in Georgia will cease in May of 2023, which is less than a year's time from now. And today I will be discussing with my good friend Joe Boca what the implications are of the suppression of the TLM, particularly stateside, particularly given this phenomenon of bishops who really don't want to be flagged as either left or right, taking cover under last summer's Traditionis Custodis and making it ambiguous whether or not they're celebrating it, whether or not they're disappointed about it. But the TLM is being suppressed. That much is certain. And it's been certain since last July. It's a year now. And we're going to discuss that today and many other implications of post-conciliar life that stem from it. First off, Joe Boca, how are you? You haven't been on the show in a few months. How the- it's, been, it's been quite some time. Yeah, I'm uh, super happy to be back today, though. Um, and uh, yeah, as you said, Traditionis Casotas was a year ago now on July, and that was the first time I was on your show. It's crazy that this much time has elapsed. We did the panel. It was a really good yeah. thing. Yeah, it was a People lot of got a lot, lot out of that. Because look, here's, here's the thing, man, before we get into it, candid discussion, candid discussion is what is the presumptive crown gem of any truth-seeking ideology, which is what traditional Catholicism is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about candid thought, candid expression of thought with no holds barred. And I think what as I look at this stuff online, I haven't been covering TLM stuff so much the last three months. I've gone, gone away from that because it's been out of the news. But the more I return to TLM stuff specifically, the most trad stuff that we do on this channel, I'm not, I don't like the Nova Zordo. I want to be TLM exclusively. I want the church to be TLM exclusively. The more I notice that it's, there's no corner of the internet, even traditionalism, that is no holds barred, truly. There, there are just as m- many censorship blocks within trad circles as there are in you know, the, the wider church. And we're going to keep running into that today. But, but we, 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 can, we can wait for that to eventuate because I've seen tons of stuff online where it's just, it's just reverse censorship people are calling for. And really what we need is, in all candor, the kind of discussion that you and I have when we discuss this stuff um, in text chat. And, and, you know, I just, I thought you would be the person to come on today and discuss. So this sort of- That's collusion... uh, quite an honor. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. I, I mean, it. it's really good. Like literally you and I were discussing something on Twitter. I can't remember what um, had to do with traditionalism, yeah. you know, the society, your, your archbishop, you, you called him like one of the greatest heroes the church has ever known or something. I find that quite a, <laughs> quite a stretch. And I, I say so. And then you're like, well, okay, blah, blah, we're talking. And you get some of these losers that just jump in with vulgarity and all, all that because they can't handle it. Censorship is a real thing all around. Folks cannot deal in the realm of ideas, can they? And, and, and trads are no better. Trads are no better. Even if, if you are definitely a trad, I'm in most people's estimation, some sort, that they're no better. Why is that? Or do you agree at all? No, I, I, I do agree. Um, that Lefebvre tweet that I put out got a lot of um, 
it did numbers, as they say. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people looked at it. But um, one of the, uh, I said something recently that is probably, I think, is more important, and it might seem unrelated to um, traditional Latin mass or whatever, uh, trad Catholicism. But we could actually hearken back to the last show you and I did together, which is the one we did with Daryl Cooper. And the figure who I've been um, wrestling with in my head um, somewhat is uh, Nietzsche, right? Who we all have to, I think, constantly be thinking about. And I don't we, think of anything but Friedrich Nietzsche. It's just me, ne me neither. It's just that's that's I'm why I, that's why I have like a, I had a mustache not too long. It was all because of him. I'm just kidding, but um, <laughs> but the reason um, mustache. Yeah, right. The reason the reason I say that is because uh, you're referring to the tweet where uh, so, someone said some vulgarity. There's a, a trad Catholic that uh, uh, because he was mad at whatever point you were making. Um, any anybody right of center is going to admit because of uh, because of the social justice warrior and the radical left uh, because of that whole movement anybody would admit I think that we um, we live in a culture that is uh, conducive and promotes and allows um, weak people to thrive so um, first and foremost slave and, morality. Yeah, Cor yep. correct. Like right. So and so what what Nietzsche was talking about was his um, how he noticed um, this slave morality and this weakness um, being most manifest in the Christian populace. Right. So which he extrapolated and said, it's a problem with Christianity, which is where we don't go with Nietzsche. Right. But um, my thought about him was that as Christians and as men and as Catholics, the best use we could make of Nietzsche is as an examination of conscience, I think. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, are, are you the weak man that Nietzsche thinks Christians are? That uh, Are you the weak Christian man he talks about? So uh, I think it's good to constantly be asking yourself and, and ask yourself, are you hiding behind basically these, uh, the system that the, the modern left and SJWs have created in order to protect and foster weakness? Or are you actually trying to be a, a strong man and, and, you know, I'd say do, do what it is we're doing without fear, without anger and uh, just properly. So that, that's my two cents on that, I guess. Dissimulation and slave morality. In many ways, I, I'm totally, I would, I would join in trad and saying the Novus Ordo is Christian dissimulation, that means lying to cover up a weakness. You're stronger than me, but ought you to, to dominate me. Uh, it, it's immoral. That's, that's dissimulation. And the Novus Ordo is slave morality. I'm totally comfortable with that. But like you're pointing out here, there's so much slave morality in traditional corners of the church, not, not with regard to liturgy, but with regard to the other aspects of living uh, in embodied corporeal life, you know? So that's where you get the really bitter people that just can't deal with ideas. They can't deal with a traditional free thinker. Uh, oh yeah. Like but being, that was everybody. I, I'm sorry if I wasn't clear that I, I meant that about 
basically any any movement of uh christians or catholics could uh could have have these people i, I don't yeah. um yeah i don't think this is exclusively an overstorto problem yeah well maybe, maybe more I, so I, maybe more so but it's predominant in when you go to the Novus Ordo liturgy, you're like, this yeah. is slave morality. I mean, yeah, it is, it's like, about it. go yeah. make a difference is slave morality in the textbook. Nietzsche would be like, that's it. He was son of a Lutheran minister. He didn't even really care much about Catholicism. But go make a difference. The felt banners, that is slave morality 101. If you want to learn about Nietzsche, you can figure out what it is. I'm saying the exception to the rule for Nietzsche that he never knew about is that there are some Christians who do not buy into dissimulation and slave morality. But most Christians actually do, just like all the rest of the world does too. What I would say when I would debate atheists, uh, or, you know, earlier in my career, I did a lot of public debates against atheists. Jo um, John Eigenauer an hour of NASA and um, some, some other guys that we do big local debates at, at local colleges and high schools. I would say, look, man, you say... Almost all religious people, including Christians, are dummies. And I agree with you. <laughs> the problem is 100% of atheists are dummies. It's just 99% of Christians et al. are dummies. The only place where non-dummies are found, the 1%, is within properly straight-minded uh, Christendom. So I, I know you and I agree on that, Joe. And we'll talk about this more at the end. I want to I flip it. One thing I'll never do is tell someone not to state their point of view. Um, when, back when the show was new and I had Chris, Chris and Dave on, my brother and my friend, they were constantly throwing you know, more shade than I would have at, at TLM, um, TLM exclusive type people of all different shades, not just SSPX people. And I'm like, hey, I just want I'll, all I have to do after you say that is just say you're not speaking for me. Or they would say, hey, I think the Novus Ordo is so beautiful and perfect. I mean, they would say stuff like that. And I'm like, OK, that I'm comfortable with anyone saying anything on this show. I mean, I've, I've said I'd have, you know, back in the, the day of Nick Fuentes, I'm like, he, he'd, he'd be a great guest. I just don't want the channel to get shut down. But I'm not at all uncomfortable with people saying stuff. And then I might agree with it. And I say a lot of the unpopular things, or I might disagree with it. And I don't need to get the censor blocks out or call them names or whatever. I just need to say, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I, I disagree. And here's why. So I, I've been there. This show is all about being genuinely uncensored, not in like a nineties way where you're trying to be cutting edge, but just, yeah, you're, you know, you and I have a lot of agreement. You have, you and I have some disagreement. And um, we're going to get to more of that at the end of the show. But I think it's important for people to understand that that's, that's one of the reasons that when I'm not doing an interview, but a dialogue with someone that I agree with, me and I agree procedurally a lot. And then just where this, this one major issue divides us. And I'm like, it's very easy to agree with you. For me, it's very easy and fun. And I think edifying to disagree with you. But we always agree on point of departure. And the point of departure here is this collusion between the or the American bishops ordinaries and the C on um, on the ending of the TLM. Let me read to you this a little bit of this article that came out uh, the day before yesterday. It's about Bishop Stephen D. Parks of Savannah. You just react to this in a second. The bishop said that he had requested permission from the Vatican Dicastery for Divine Worship 
and discipline of the sacraments for parishes in his diocese to offer the mass according to the 1962 Roman Missal and received a response from Rome that one parish can offer the mass weekly and three parishes can offer the mass monthly on May 20th, 2023. How conspicuous this is just to get outside of a Catholic perspective. That's so odd. Why is this being regulated this much? He says, I'm grateful. And then he says, I'm grateful. You're only allowed to offer it a total of four times per month at the one place. And then three parishes can offer it monthly. So seven times in your whole diocese. What the hell, man? That is so conspicuous. Forget all the theological liturgical implications. That's just conspicuous as hell. And then what's even more conspicuous is he responds by saying, quote, I am grateful to the dicastery for granting the above Permission so that masses according to the Missale Romanum of 1962 may continue to be celebrated for another year. Since my appointment as your bishop, I have been present at masses celebrated with this missal, and I recognize the reverence and beauty of these liturgies. I'm also aware that the eventual cessation of these masses will be difficult for many of the faithful in the diocese. Please know my pastoral concern for you. Isn't it odd to be thanking the censorers? as they censor you and that they move from in 2012, some more in pontificum, what it should be uh, at the very least, it should be that anyone anywhere can, can offer the TLM to now it can only be offered seven times per month in your entire diocese by my count. And you're thanking them for, Oh, thank you for continuing this. This is still relatively new wound. Why would you be thanking your, it, it seems like a psyop seems like this guy, Bishop, uh, Savannah Bishop, Stephen D. Parks, who looks like he was in a boy band within like 15 years, seems like controlled opposition or something. Is he running interference for the sea? Are these American bishops running interference for the sea? You know, well, first is arbitrary, right? I mean, that's and it's uh, it's like it's all arbitrary by design. I mean, seven times or whatever. It's just, you know, we're going to the whole idea is that the people in Rome are going to impose this uh, ridiculous number that they just pulled off the top of their head and you're going to like it. And not only are you going to like it, you're going to thank me for it. Right. That's, that's the way the power structure is. I, I mean, as far as the Bishop's heart is concerned, I'm not so sure. Uh, this is uh, this is the way the power dynamic works now. Uh, so Sumorum Sumorum Pontificum, uh, being done away with. And I think this was something that I was uh, explaining to others, at least my view on uh, Benedict's motu proprio is that, and you won't be surprised to hear that none of this is a surprise to me, right? So because the motu proprio sumorum pontificum is basically wired to self-destruct, I think, because it it allows for the... uh, I, you know, I do believe that the Novus Ordo is not a, uh, um, an adequate expression of Roman Catholicism, Roman Catholic, uh, the dogma, the doctrine of the mass, right? Uh, and I do believe that the traditional mass is the expression. Uh, if, I, if I could borrow Pope Francis's term, um, it, it's the, the TLM is the Lex Orandi of the Roman rite, the Novus Ordo is not. Um, so I think the minute um, somebody like Benedict uh, puts out the motu proprio, freeing the Latin mass, more priests learning the Latin mass, which is good. There was, there was things to be gained from this, right? But I think, uh, and this is my um, opinion as far as uh, 
has something to do with power politics too. But the the minute that it was a, the two rights were basically allowed to coexist, um, one was going to swallow the other, and because of who's in charge, we know we know which one we have modernists in charge, and the modernist liturgy swallowed the the good liturgy. Um, it's not it's not too much of a shock. So what we see now, uh, well, I guess we'll I suppose we'll get to the institute and things of that sort. Uh, I've talked a whole lot about Malcolm X, and I've talked a whole lot about um, the uh, power politics, and we are now in a position that doesn't surprise, I suppose, set of contest, it doesn't surprise um, uh, what people call the recognize and resist camp, which I don't really care for the term, but whatever. Um, the SSPX uh, folks and SSPX adjacent people. Um, we see um, a certain wing of the church, I think, uh, begging for something that we're entitled to, and we're entitled to the whole time. And uh, that and uh, I, I I do hope more priests. Uh, the more this is suppressed, I do hope more priests uh, do speak that strongly. But um, that remains to be seen. Yeah, you said it's funny because this is my second question. You said, um, well, you mentioned surprise, and no one. I mean, no one's surprised. We might be surprised that this is happening, hmm. but society supporters like yourself, SSPX supporters like yourself um, seem to be surprised by the authority exercised over the Ecclesia Day institutions like ICKSP and um, FSSP, which is, um, which catches me off guard because I'd say, well, well, I mean, yeah, it's shocking that Francis did this last July and by this, I mean, essentially began a time release, uh, incremental roll-up of the, the TLM from the Holy See onward. I thought he was all about ecclesiastical subsidiarity, you know, giving the bishops as much power as they want. No, that's just in Germany. He wants to be able to make the, 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 the German uh, homos be able to homo. That's literally what he means by subsidiarity. He wants to make split the natural law. But liturgy which is supposed to be a uh, diocese to diocese thing. He doesn't want to allow any subsidiarity there, even where it's appropriate because the liturgy has always been to some extent regionalized. Uh, I get, I guess this is where there is a legitimate third position. And I expressed this position. I did a debate with um, Tim Fran Flanders, yeah. you know, that, that lots of people, why they did, they didn't, couldn't understand how, a person could have my position that no, there's a, there's a plenary power, much more plenary than the power of the presidency uh, as per, you know, disciplinary controls. I cited lots of documents to that effect. And that doesn't mean I like everything he's doing, but with a plenary power, I'm just saying this Pope is wicked. I've recognized and resisted Pope Francis before most of the people you hear talking about him online. I was getting articles shut down in 2013 and 2014, anti-Francis ones. Uh, but he, he certainly has a plenary power. You, you, in your last section, when you're mentioning this surprise, you, Joe, specifically, you said that you called the mass, uh, and this isn't, this isn't a mass thing, but you called it a dogma and a doctrine of the church. 
The problem with this is dogma and doctrine is propositional. Dogma and doctrine is syllogistic. It's like we believe contraception is wrong because like minor premise, major premise, conclusion. That's a dogma or a dog. doctrine just means a teaching. Dogma is just a, um, a defined teaching, one that's been, you know, formalized, crystallized and has been defined. That, con- that conclusion, you know, if you, if you people out there look at what uh, syllogism is, you know, major premise, minor premise, conclusion, that's a, a teaching of the church or a doctrine of the church as long as it's been held pretty consistently over 2,000 years. It becomes a dogma when the church actually bolds the conclusion. Yeah, go, go find the bold button on the computer and, and throw it in bold and italicize it and underline it and say now it's dogmatized. It's been dogmatically defined. The mass isn't a propositional uh, syllogistic expression, right? It's, it's literally... No, no, I, I, so let it's me, not uh, a doctrine or a dog. Let me, let me, let me be clear about what I meant. Um, so when I said, or when I'll say, if I say something like the, the dogma or doctrine of, uh, of the mass, I mean, um, there are dogmas and doctrines that are related to the mass, uh, things like, uh, the real presence, right. Or the mass is a propitiatory sacrifice, right. We have to, those things are binding on us as Catholics, right. So, um, the mass is the, uh, expression of those things. Uh, we could pretty we could agree on that, right? So, my uh, my point was is not that is not that the mass is uh, the mass is actually uh, by its nature something that's kind of the opposite of syllogistic because there's a mystical exactly. element to it, right? But yeah, so are all um, disciplines. All disciplines are expressed. Well, no, I I, I was I wasn't term. I wasn't necessarily saying discipline, but more of uh, sort of how the, the Eastern Church uh, would, would under, understand uh, liturgy uh, in, in a more mystical and spiritual way. But uh, sort of beside the point, I, want, I don't want to get off track. Um, the, but you had it right there. It's the opposite of propositional logic, right? Something It's not something you, you, can, you can believe with it, but you can't believe in it. We believe in the church's teaching against contraception. I believe, I think you do too. I, I don't want to speak for you. I believe in the church's yes. teaching I'm no, I'm no working wives. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, yeah. it's a proposition, you know, uh, that can be asserted and premised. That's not what the mass is. So it can't be a dogma or a doctrine. Well, That's it could state, it could, it could, it could certainly state dogma or doctrine though. And, uh, and well, sure. the creed, and, and, say the creed. And, correct. And, 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 uh, and, but, and in its words, in its rubrics, Things of this sort, um, and it's, uh, yeah, uh, r- words, rubrics, you name it, uh, the right itself. Um, and so my point about the dog, dogma doctrine of the mass, what I mean by that is that um, what is underpinning the two, the, the two liturgies, right? The traditional Latin mass, uh, Contra the Novus Ordo, uh, does the Novus Ordo. Um, what was the Novus Novus Ordo designed to instruct the faithful in. That, that, is, that is what I mean. What are the doctrinal implications, uh, the theological underpinnings of that mass versus um, the traditional mass? Uh, well, we've, we've been through this before, though. This is, right. This is but it, but it, all the doctrine. See, I'd say, I'd say the Novus Ordo was designed to destroy the faith of believers. I've, I've always held that. But, but it, it wasn't through the doctrine. It was through the, you know, Lex Orandi, 
which is the opposite of dog. So like all the doctrine is the same. You say the creed, you know, where you got the dogmas, they usually say the apostles creed, but sometimes you get the Nicene creed. You have the, our father, you have the confidior, you know, which contains propositional elements. Right. So all the propositions are there. And that's precisely what I think you and your, your guys in SSPX are missing. Like they literally wouldn't, have messed with the doctrine. They attack doctrine through the back door, through the discipline of the mass, you know, through the alexorandi of the mass. Because they made sure, you know, it's not like you go to the Novus Ordo and they're saying a modified Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed, together with the Nicene Creed, are the greatest short summation of what we believe doctrinally, the propositions we believe. They made sure not to touch that because that's you could, you could sound that out if there were an error in the new mass in 1970. You could do it with like a spell check feature on an elegant Microsoft Word program. And they, they knew they didn't want to leave it open to that. So they wanted to attack the way we pray. Like, like um, I think G.K. Chesterton said, the demons want never, you know, always to, to impress on us. The way you pray doesn't matter. Pray laying down when you're going to sleep. And I never get into the, you know, never prostrate yourself. Be, that's what we're talking about, the style, the air by which we do things. That's what the Nova Sword, that's where it attacks us. That's where it kicks us all in the balls, right? <laughs> sure, and the new right does just that, right? That's what I'm saying, uh, yeah. And the, new right, does, the, new, yeah. Right does, the new right does it. It, distri- it, it undermines the faith. The, the, the ritual, the rubrics, it, it, it does do that. Now- well, I, agree. I agree with you. <laughs> Now, to um, to to make matters now, we could we could pile on top of that, and you have already you agree that that the Novus Ordo does undermine the faith, and I I will it was I will designed to undermine the faith. Sorry, but yes, go ahead. That's important. Um, yeah. uh, and I will I will I mean I've gotten into some hot water on Twitter.com for um, a bit of winking and nodding I've done at Sedificantism just because. Uh, I will. I, I'm not a sedificantist, first off, but I, I, I must say. I mean, I, I do feel un, a bit uncomfortable saying that the church, capital C church, handed us something that undermined the faith. That, that people really ought to realize how much of a mouthful that is. It's, it's quite a, it's a bold saying, right? So a, anybody who dismisses out of hand the fact that these people, you know. The fact that they 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 could be bogus, I <laughs> I I don't I don't consent to that. But it's a I think it's a serious position. Besides that, um, but I we, agree with everything you just said, and I think we should spend some more time unpacking it. We, we go on with whatever. You're, by the way, boss, our mutual friend, boss says hello. He's laughing. At, he's laughing awesome. at our previous discussion. Go, sure go ahead. Yeah, but uh, we need to go uh, back to what you just said. I agree a hundred percent. And I think it's the beating heart of all of this that everyone trips around. And you just said it perfectly, but go on. So um, to get back to what I said, so we have the pra- the praxis of the mass, right? What you say, um, what we carry out when we're at mass, sitting, kneeling, so on and so forth. Uh, these things undermining the faith without question. Um, I don't... Primarily, and arch, the archbishop knew this, um, these things were not um, an accident. Uh, then pair that with the fact that, it, you know, you, you, you see the word sacrifice a whole off, an awful lot less in the, in the new right. 
You see many less genuflections. Uh, vernacular, for instance, was always uh, was always used to uh, undermine um, undermine sound doctrine and sound dogma. Uh, that's the that's the whole idea of it. Because English English, whatever your vernacular languages are, are living languages can be changed. Words could be used equivocally. Think things of this sort. Latin being a dead language. Uh, purity of uh, of uh, language is maintained. Agree. You have. I, I mean, you have. The, uh, I have two more uh, relatively important, but mo- probably most important. Um, you see the the uh, the vandalism of of ridding of the offertory. Probably the main problem. I think uh, that that is that is akin to me to like uh, stepping on a flower or something, and mm-hmm. um, and then the 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 ordeal of the communion prayers. Um, the the, uh, the traditional canon often being displaced for a, a prayer of a Jewish seder, seder meal, right? Um, there, there's any number of things I could say. I mean, the mass of the faithful being uh, uh, the, being spoken loudly instead of quietly. I, it, it seems like it could go on and on. Um, it's like stepping on on beautiful flowers, like trouncing them repeatedly. That that is what the new mass is. I think everyone. I think. Most everyone here agrees with all that, but hold on. You said want, so I kind of bisected your two last speaking segments by saying, I want to go back to the first thing you said. And the first thing that you said that I want to go back to now without uh, neglecting the second thing you said was specifically that like, that's a mouthful saying that the magisterium by all, by all reasonable measures of visibility seems to have given us something um, soft-wired at least to reduce our faith. That is not a comfortable truth. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time on after I said, so let's go back to that in a second. But the second thing you said, hundred percent agree. Also, aside from one line, you said the archbishop and like, I don't, I don't think you're talking about um, Supich. I think you're talking about your hero, Lefebvre, uh, Lefebvre. I, he um, now he he did not know this, and the way I know he didn't know this is because he is one of the authors by ratification of all of those Vatican II documents, and that's just we were talking about this by text, and I'm like, we well, you can't you can't say anything now. The best thing you can do if you make a boo boo that big, you ratify the Vatican II documents if you're Archbishop Lefebvre. You say, look, I boo-booed. I am not a hero, but right now I'm going to commit my life to reconcile uh, to, to rectifying these errors. And that's not what he did. He, you know, there's this disputed question, even though I've seen pictures of his signatures on all these documents, whether or not he did, you know, actually sign them. So you can't say that he was this prescient guy. There were, I think on Sacrosanctum Concilium, six signat- uh, non-signatories which is odd out of thousands of bishops that it was only six. That's not the kind of numbers you see at uh, the Richmond ratification convention. You know, it was like 89 to 79 was the final vote, whether or not in June of 1788 to ratify the new U S constitution, you have robust dialogue, 89 guys by a very narrow margin end up ratifying it. 79 guys don't anti-federalists versus federalists. One guy switched sides between the summer of, 1787 in Philadelphia in 1788, one of the famous Virginians, Edmund Randolph. And 
because he switched sides from anti-federalist to federalist, I told you this by text, Joe, at Richmond from June 3rd to June 24th, when they're debating ratification robustly, two almost equal sides, Patrick Henry and George Mason and all of the other Virginian anti-federalists are like calling him names. They almost dueled Joe because this is all prior to ratification, you know, where it becomes truly too late to switch sides. Prior to ratification, Edmund uh, Randolph, I get Edmund Randolph and Edmund Pendleton mixed up because they're both Edmonds, but he swamped. And so they're calling him a turncoat. They're calling him a cuck, basically. That's just for switching sides prior to ratification, where it was more appropriate to do so. That's what you expect when, when you have two sides really going at whether or not to author a document. And a, a constitution, whether it's secular or sacred, like the four sacred constitutions of Vatican II or the U.S. Constitution, which is secular, you have a bunch of authors. One guy writes it, maybe two, James Madison. He got some help, we think, from James Wilson, actually penning the thing, ink to parchment. But the other guys join him as an author when they sign the bottom line. And to say nothing else of, of you know, all the stuff, all the shade that gets thrown at Lefebvre by you know, pe- people that are more, more robust backers of the Novus Ordo. That, that's not me. You know, the consecrations in 1988, all that. I don't really care about that so much. What I care about is this odd, striking, stark cognitive dissonance whereby the archbishop, as you call him, is hailed as the greatest hero. He is one of the authors of those documents. So the cognitive dissonance is off the charts. Nowhere else in life do you see people that will hail someone who is one of the authors of these documents that ultimately messed everything up through time-release codified heteropraxy, not through doctrine, um, hailed as the great opponent. That, like, how, how, do you, how do you reconcile that? Well, a couple of things. Um, did he actually mess everything up if the documents aren't actually the problem? I do think there's problems with the documents, right? We've, we've talked about that. But on- so let's assume that there are. For your okay, we're assume assuming arguendo, right? Yeah, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Arguendo. Right. Then yes, but, the only answer can be yes. By but uh, so, a um, couple more thoughts. So we use the analogy, uh, we use like uh, the American uh, ordealist by analogy, right? So um, analogies are great until they, they, they stop being great, right? Until they, they fail. So um, Lefebvre, uh, being as he was a council father, uh, and a bishop, uh, you know, one of Pius XII's favorite bishops, right? Uh, a, a successful missionary, the whole thing. We, it, it, every, everybody knows that, right? Uh, I'm sure most people who are watching that know that. Um, he uh, he was a son of the church. He was he was he was a a bishop, faithful bishop, uh, loyal to the pope, uh, and as such, uh, the virtue of obedience, often talked about now, right? uh does come into play so um this from an ssbx guy right so not um, from ratification though no 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 you are invited at at see this is this is precisely the the confusion at an ecumenical council signing one of the documents before it's ratified it's like a marriage uh a, a, a ratifying a constitution at an ecumenical council forget the analogy to secular constitutions however apt they are i, I don't think they do break down but you are invited as one of the council fathers to ratify or not ratify 
And there is no obedience under question, you understand, with your full intellect and will to either ratify or conversely not ratify and say, I can't sign this. That is well, not, not signing is not a breach of obedience until this is precisely where you're missing it. The point, after you get a majority, 89-79, after Virginia ratified the U.S. Constitution, yeah, they became the 10th state to do so. Um, after it's a thing, it's like a marriage. Anyone can run out on a marriage 10 seconds before the vows. But once it's a thing, then you're bound by obedience. So this is why I say, I want this really clear for everyone that's listening out there to know. There is no duty, no bond of obedience on any council father at any ecumenical council to sign. And, and Joe, you just implied that there was. There's a duty afterwards to execute the document as any kind of Catholic once it's a thing, once there's a marriage, once you have a um, la, la Cosa Nostra, as you're always saying, Joe. So that's why I say uh, uh, Lefebvre did too little during and at the council and too much after. And, like, refute that. Where am I wrong? It's well, what I'm saying, when I, when I speak about obedience, I, these, are, these were documents that came from, from above, right? These are, this, is, this is from the church, so, to, uh, so I, I suppose. Um, now, I'm not saying that if he hadn't signed them, he would have been under, not signing under pain of sin. That wasn't really my point. My point is, is that Lefebvre was a, is, yeah, was a bishop of the Catholic Church. And as such, when the documents were presented to him, uh, if there's a debate over how many he signed, but he definitely signed some, uh, he gave the church, he gave the documents the benefit of the doubt at that point um, because what, what we talk about is weaponized ambiguity, right? So if you want to, if you want to do a handstand and put, you know, keep one eye closed, you could maybe read Dignitatis Humanae as though it's in not, uh, <laughs> contradicting, uh, Pius the ninth. Right. But I, you know, that's uh, you, the mental gymnastics are, uh, you know, quite a bit you have to do. Um, I don't was know. Is that if, a mistake now? And I don't I know mean, if I don't know if asking if it's if it's a mistake is the right question. He uh, he to ratify for any for signed, any bishops to ratify Vatican he, II documents as a bishop at the time. He said, "I'm going to give the church the benefit of doubt with the documents." But so, but let's um, we could also go back in time a bit um, because out, as a council father, he was one of the leaders of the uh, what you might call the resistance group, the conservative resistance group at the council. So, um, as such, you could read uh, in his. Uh, it's 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 in I accuse the council, right? So we, uh, uh, the document on ecclesiology, I believe it was. So if you see, as I have, they do have a quote. So um, he was part of the Ottaviani intervention too. So um, you uh, the so uh, a quick quote. The result of these interventions was an important modification of the text. Um, so just that little blurb there of, of his, their actions, their intervent, their interventions, right? Um, as the stalwarts of orthodoxy at the council as they were, uh, perhaps and probably very likely did prevent um, further heresy from being added to the documents. So um, we have our hermeneutic of continuity friends out there who do like to say this could be interpreted in light of tradition, this whole thing, right? And we. Um, Perhaps the only reason that these documents are an outright heresy 
is because we actually did have some good prelates at the council, him being one of them, and he wasn't the only one, but he sure he sure as heck was one of them. Now, to uh, to address the fact that he went went and did what he did uh, after the fact. Uh, but you, of so, course, you, you doubt, you're saying that there was doubt and he ratified. This is the opposite of what one is supposed to do when they ratify a bill, a constitution. It sounds like Nancy Pelosi saying, pass the bill to find out what's in it. That is not the duty of a constitutional uh, convention father. I, I think council that, father. I don't the know. The duty if, is to not specifically be one of the five or six minority who do not ratify. If there's any doubt in your mind, that's the American, right? Well, that's the American, the American government is in no sense divine though. No, 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 and no. It, I'm talking at, at, at ecumenical councils. If there's any doubt in your mind, you said there's doubt. You err on the side of caution. And so this is where this is where I think you have it precisely flipped. Uh, the doubt prior to ratification, you say, I'm not going to ratify. But then if you lose, if you're in the losing party, then you say, OK, well, now that doubt, now that the, the official church magisterium has reified this thing, La Cosa Nostra, now uh, that doubt becomes a hermeneutic. Now we just have to, it's a thing. It, this is done. Now we just have to interpret it in the, the faithful way. Because, because like you said, Joe, uh, it's uncomfortable that so much what looks like manufactured doubt comes from these Vatican II documents. It's very uncomfortable. And that's why both you and I are easier on set of a contest but but you see you have it you have it opposite when before you take the final ratification vote this is not just i'm not talking about america i'm talking about ecumenical councils and the votes that they take um before it's a thing you owe less duty to the document you agree with that right you owe more duty once it becomes reified and ratified as a catholic document i'm sure you agree there there's a um i i think there's there's an interesting question there because it just uh, because it does it open. Well, it you op- have more duty. Well, well, what I'm well, saying is well, you yeah, have yeah, more well, duty to the magisterium yeah, 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 yeah. than you do to I, a proposed I, document. Sure, yeah. I mean the degree to which it's but the degree to which it's binding is another question. But fine, yeah. No, no, I'm not talking about any of that. That's so, fine. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. We're trying to. Co- right. we're just, That's fine. Keep trying yeah. to drag these other yeah. terms, which are kind of kind, like not you, but they're typically the way this topic gets discussed is usually obfuscatory, not you. And I'm trying to help clarify for people. It's really clear before you can have all kinds of proposed document document that all of the Catholic prelates have to wear Nike airs, air Jordans. Let's let's, that would be dope, right? (laughs) Um, Jordan ones, black and reds, go get them. Every document you could propose that here. I just wrote it up. You need your signature on this. Do you sign uh, ordinary, ordinary Archbishop Joe? Do you sign? And, you don't owe any allegiance to the document then. And if you're like, I'm not going to sign or I am going to sign, you either sign or you don't sign. That's not a Catholic document until you have a quorum of, uh, of people that make it a Catholic document. So I was asking a rhetorical question. The question is you owe allegiance to it as a Catholic bishop or a Catholic layman after it's ratified, but not before. You Lefebvre guys, you always... Talk about it like it's the opposite, and people can clearly see that, right? You talk about it like, oh, Lefebvre didn't make an error. Even what? But you guys hate the Vatican II documents more than I do. I was trying to write a book on it 
and it was getting to be a tangle. And um, but you guys hate him worse than me. So you definitely should have said he he didn't know any allegiance to it there. He didn't know any benefit of the doubt to it there. Think about Thomas More. He didn't sign an evil document and he was willing to die for it. Now, if Lefebvre, I think he is one of the greatest uh, Catholic heroes of the last 500 years, but he greatly outdistances, I mean, greatly in a contrasting way, outpaces what Lefebvre did, right? He, he signed the bad document and then, you know, sort of silently tried to undo it, but undo it in ways that, that are argue or questionable at best in terms of whether or not he can do it. He should have just done the Thomas More, should he have not? He made a prudential judgment, signed the documents. The ink was dry. Uh, as a but I'm asking of, about that no, point, right? That, well, that point, well, look, I, I could only, I could only, look, I could only deal with with history as it is. He was a a, a faithful bishop. Uh, I don't think anybody would um, question his fidelity leading up to the council, right? So he was a uh, uh, a faithful prelate. Um, uh, I mean, Pope Benedict called him what the most important churchman in the last hundred years and this great man of the universal church. Right. So he was a, a faithful son of the church. He resisted at the council. You could go read his very short book called I accuse the council, which has his, um, his interventions and the interventions of other bishops. Uh, he, like I said, he was the, being the faithful son of the church that he was did give the benefit of the doubt to the hierarchy and the, and the magisterium signs the documents However, you're many, that those how, who didn't however sign many it were not faithful sons of the church, though. Sorry to jump in. No, those I'm just, who didn't uh, I'm, sign, I'm, aren't they I'm, the faithfulest sons of the church? The ones that were like, I, I'm Thomas More on this. No, By the way, I, does I, anyone know if Otavio? I wouldn't. I wouldn't grant. Hurt? I wouldn't grant. I wouldn't grant that. No. Um, so he he like I say he renders a prudential judgment. Um, the church. The documents come from the church and. You know, his uh, epistemological, you know, the way he looked at it was, you know, I, I'm a bishop. I'm going to we're going to give this a go. And uh, of course, he couldn't then have known the fruits of the council. Uh, it would have been impossible, would have been impossible for him to see the future uh, as it was. And you may, you know, we talk about sacrosanctum concilium. And we're, uh, uh, we don't. Uh, we know that there's a d d distinction uh, signing off on Sacrosanctum Concilium, for instance, would not be the same thing as signing off on the, on the Novus Ordo Mise, two different things. Um, I know, but now you sound like me. That's, that's all I'm saying. Cause obviously what. Oh you're no, saying, I mean, it's a, it's a valid distinction. What you're saying, I, I agree. I think it, it has, I think it has nothing, but I, I, I just, I don't see how a, a man uh, in his, in his shoes uh, being un unquestionably uh faithful and, and a, a good bishop. Um, and I believe you remain. So obviously someone would disagree with me on that. Well, but, I'm just uh, judging his actions. I, ren I ren render renders a prudential judgment over the count, you know, the conciliar documents signs them, not not exactly knowing because he doesn't have a crystal ball to see into the future, not knowing. And uh, eventually chaos, you know, unfolds we know we we both agree that the you know the uh the fallout of the second vatican council was a catastrophe right um so 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 that but this is also what i asked you yesterday um so he so he signs it puts pen puts pen to paper the ink is dry again cross his name out right so however many years later archbishop lefebvre is, is uh um 
approached by seminarians, one of which is Bishop Tissier, to, uh, to Bernard Tissier, right? Um, and is asked that because he's known for, he's known as an Orthodox prelate who's in retirement. And they say, go, go ask Marcel Lefebvre. And he, uh, <laughs> he, first, he first directs his seminarians uh, to other Orthodox seminaries because he's in retirement and, you know, he's, he, he's trying to be, uh, yeah, he, he does his, his, uh, Archbishop of spirit is not to be a rabble rouser. So, um, he, uh, he does that. And then they, they you know, they come back to him and they say, Archbishop, um, these seminaries are horrible and, uh, you know, modernism abounds. And, uh, I mean, just imagine having to live with some of the people that ended up becoming priests, you know, God help us. Um, sure. so, so, <laughs> so Archbishop, right. Yeah. <laughs> Archbishop Lefebvre uh, comes out of retirement, open seminaries, and we know the rest is history, but what was he supposed to say to them? Was he supposed to say, I signed the council documents. I can't do anything to help you. I can't, I can't, I can't do anything to, as I would put it as, uh, Mal, as our friend Malachi Martin would put it, right? He can't do anything to um, keep tradition alive only because he signed some documents. I, I, I don't see how that follows. Um, well, I didn't know. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that. Well, you seem to imply that he does can't change, follow that, that he can't once change his you mind. create, once you reify. See, this is just where people aren't giving the proper respect to reifying, to ratifying a constitution that is the lifeblood that, that the Holy spirit is ratifying through your pen. Uh, this is why it's what I'm saying applies to sacred constitutions more than secular constitutions. You're saying, well, I'm just going to pass the bill to find out what's in it because I'm a faithful son of the church. Well, there are, there are people that didn't sign the documents because they didn't think they were faithful. And these, these are faithful sons of the church too. I assume they're the most faithful sons of the church at the council given what you and I think about the council documents, I would, I would say them pretty much uh, QED, the most faithful Catholics at the council, the most faithful Catholic, uh, council fathers were the ones that went Thomas More. I think that that follows as just a matter as part of the distinction of degree we're making. Uh, so once you say, okay, I made this document that is now Catholic magisterium, the second I started signing my name, it's not Catholic magisterium, right? I could have thrown the paper in the fire. And if enough prelates join me, it's just some fire uh, uh, tinder for us. But after I sign and enough, a quorum of other people sign, now this is part of the Roman Catholic magisterium. Now, all of a sudden, we have to bow to it. Before we didn't, that is the nature of having ecumenical councils. That is the nature of being a Roman Catholic is that this is all of a sudden you didn't have to bow to it before you have to bow to it now. And I'm just saying, I, I don't, I, you have, I've never heard one reason to believe that this, that, that uh, Lefebvre and, and other faithful Catholics that signed it, but made a huge mistake by signing these documents that they just didn't have a crosswise view of it. They, they bowed to it more before it was Catholic magisterium when it was just words on a paper that that's really odd. And hindsight. I mean, it, so, but it's so easy. Well, to no, 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 about. not hindsight because like, like you said yourself, the, the document, 
they have some they have some really obvious cotopride heteropraxy. I was wor- I've worked on this. And it, if it's hindsight for, I guess the most important point is, if it's hindsight is 2020, oh, we're going to give this guy a pass because we like him, then it's that for every one of the other 5,000 some odd uh, prelates there who signed it. So we don't have special rules for Lefebvre. It's cool. anyone that well, signed it. If it was truly, truly, truly deeply, deeply embedded in the document, and they couldn't tell from 1962 to 1963 before they signed Sacrosanctum Concilium and the other documents, if they couldn't tell, then that must require that there is no evidence of them having Ottaviani interventions at the time. And we know that they did. We know that that basically good faithful prelates, I'm counting Lefebvre as one of them, and Ottaviani, guys that are have our view of the church, yours and mine, okay? Everyone out there, I'm calling Lefebvre one of them, the good guys. They had an intervention. So we know they had a problem with the document. So now that contradicts the point that they had no clue. He signed that thing for whatever reason, knowing that there was serious questions. And then afterwards, you just asked me the question, well, what was he supposed to do? Say, hey, I I helped to create this monster. I'm one of the authors and I can't can't help you? Yes. And that's where I want to return. That's the answer. You created Catholic magisterium that ain't so Catholic. And so yesterday we were sitting here texting about this. We were going around for Steph's birthday. And what I, you were like, look, I'm not saying it's an easy answer. I'm like, good, because it's not. And I know there are lots of other channels out there, they, right-wing traditional Catholic channels that do lots of the censorship as much as the establishment Catholic channels. And what they're doing is they're answering, they're offering easy answers. And this channel is always like, live in the void. I have no answers for you on this. I tell people, go to realestateforlife.org, get out of a blue state, get to a red state, do it. (laughs) Because that's something you can do with the crumbling republic of America. With regard to the crumbling, ostensibly crumbling church that Lefebvre, and I think a lot of other faithful, good Catholics like Lefebvre, uh, who aren't bad guys, got pressured into signing bad documents. What they created was something that can't really be refuted insofar as it's Catholic magisterium. Now you go through the levels of how do we undo as much of it as we can. We need the whole corporate church to do so. There is some, some undoing that can be done. But what do we do now? Yeah, you don't just give an easy solution. Oh, I recognize and resist. I'm moving from a blue state to a red state. You can't do that in the church, man. We're just bound by it. I don't like the Novus Ordo either. We're just, they all bound us to it. The only people that can piss and moan about this are the, the five or six dead guys that literally pulled a Thomas More and Obscene. That's what I say. And I, I, think, I think when people hear that that's the true story of what happened in 1963, 64, 65, I don't see any other reasonable way of looking at the events. Well, we're not bound to anything that's going to wreck our faith. We're not. It's a, it's an it's an impossibility um, for for us because that's not the that's not what the church is there for. Uh, it's not what the liturgy is there for. That's not what the teaching authority is there for. We know what the supreme law is. Um, my position is quite simply that the arch is uh, giving the archbishop the grace um, to to have changed his mind, which he uh, obviously obviously did. 
Um, granted, I don't know how many of the documents he actually signed, asked, but that, that would be something I'd also be interested to see. I'm just assuming uh, it was a, a good many of them. And look, we uh, trads and uh, I, I hate that I sh- if there's anything in this in this thing of ours, which is what La Cosa Nostra translates to. <laughs> um, if there's anything at all of this I hate is, is, uh, is, is names that we give to things like post-trad and trad and recognize and resist and this and that. Even even sedeve contism is a whole, you can't even speak of these things because it's it's painting with too broad a brush. My, uh, my position is quite simply that the, he, the, he made, a, he made a, a prudential decision, signs the documents, um, not know, like I said, not knowing what the um, practical fallout is going to be, um, not knowing what was going to follow. We get a bad, we get a bad mass from it. We get a, uh, we get a, we get, yeah, we get some problematic passages in the documents, which the society admits are, are you know, the majority of uh, the contents of the Second Vatican Council are just, just fine. It's a, it's a few things um, that. Uh, and weaponized ambiguity is weaponized ambiguity for a reason, right? It's, it's, uh, it is, it is a bit murky and could have been a whole lot worse, um, had the interventions not taken place, which Lefebvre partook in. So Lefebvre is therefore approached and being a reasonable man, I I don't see that. I I don't think it's, it's that complicated. I mean, it's, it's an odd thing to say to say that um, how is it the will it's an odd thing to say that faithful seminarians come up to you who want to wear the cassock and want to say the traditional mass and the right thing to do is to turn them away because you signed something a couple of years ago. I, I, that, I think that doesn't make sense on it. I think, I think common sense does, doesn't allow for that. And well, we also still get into the question of whether or not um, by doing, by doing what he did, if Lefebvre, stood Catholic, which I, of course, believe he did. And we have to remember, too, when Lefebvre began the society, the initial founding of the society was completely above board. Anybody would admit that. And um, with the initial suppression of the uh, of the society um, was uh, occurred for um, reasons that weren't apparently any good. And he never got a hearing in the Vatican court when he appealed. Cardinal Vio was a cardinal at the time. Um, there's no reason to, I mean, if you, how do you, how do you not get a trial for, <laughs> for, for something uh, unjustly suppressed, but which, which he started doing entirely the right way. And if, if it's, uh, and it's my understanding that when I, I believe it was Cardinal Gagnon at the time who visited the seminary of the society and said that this is probably the most Catholic seminary in the, <laughs> in the church and Bishop Schneider recently visiting the society seminaries and said, this is how seminaries ought to be run. Well, of uh, course. That, for, for everyone out there, I, I don't think anyone out there is like, no, I, I mean, yeah, that w- you, you get over the snafu of the fact that you're, you're being more charitable than I, you're being far more charitable than I am about the ratification of the Vatican II documents which is very interesting because because you're an sspx guy but i guess you're saying look we should be charitable not just to to lefebvre because I, I don't care about any of the individual archbishops there him included i i don't give a damn i care about the church and 
you're saying, look, we should be charitable, not just to him because he's he doesn't walk between the raindrops, but to all of those who got duped, who goofed up big time and, and got duped into signing it. Right. We should be more charitable than than Tim here is saying. Is that is that fair? Well, we have the benefit of living in the year 2022 and the fact we could see now that Archbishop Lefebvre was the one of the only men to actually do something about the fallout. Well, one no, of the no, only- I mean, I'm talking about he was one of the ones who signed it. Are you saying we should be more charitable for the goof up of, of giving us all of this fallout? It, de- it really given all just, the other. I mean, it, it depends on it depends on who. Right. I mean, it, I can't judge culpability. Right. But there are, there are, are. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, I like about you, Joe, let me, let me say it this way. One thing that I like about you a lot that, that, that I, I, I would say we have in common. That's probably why I like it is that you're not looking for easy solutions. Um, and you understand this is what I never got along. This is what I never agreed with. you know, when, when I had Chris and Dave on the show, because these ratifiers, the writers, the documents of Vatican II, because there's such a takeover in the church and they're allowed to do so by caucusing or whatever they did to, to get so many of the prelates at Vatican II to sign. And the church is so messed up. I mean, the church was messed up before that. But because it got so formally ratified at and after Vatican II in the 70s, the church is so unrecognizable that your big the best sentence you've said on the show today is we should choke over those words that all of these guys at Vatican II that gave us these wacky documents that are not doctrinally unsound but were had codified heteropraxy time release poison even though there's no doctrinal trip points there's heteropraxy trip points um what they really did was they messed up the church in a way that it's never been messed up before. So how, what you always say is how do I look at a set of a contest and say, yeah, the church is exactly what it was in, you know, 1960 as it was in 1860. You can't. And there's no easy solution for that. And I I still believe that the church is the bark. And one reason that I really like Malachi Martin is because he has the same view. His, his protagonist, Father Christian, in Windswept House, has this view. He's like, look, everyone quit pretending you have the answers. This means SSPX people, SSPV people, very faithful Novus Ordo people, uh, you know, folks that look for a diocesan TLM. Everyone quit being a damn know-it-all. This is not as simple as move to a red state from a blue state and hope that your red state secedes in five or 10 more years. That's what I'm doing. That's relatively simple. Not totally simple, but to be a Catholic, if you're a set of contest, we can't tell them that they're, we know they're straight up wrong. I mean, they're, they're wrong about some stuff, we think, but it's not clear because there seems to have been an enthronement to Satan, literally and figuratively, in the latter half of the 20th century, Malachi Martin says it's literal, and it disempowered the popes who are not bad popes. Malachi Martin said JP2 is not a bad guy. I assume the same about Benedict, but they were so impotent and weak and pathetic because of this enthronement. And so now we're just living in the wake of the worst thing to ever happen to the church. It doesn't mean the church is fake, but 
what what I feel like folks that come down really hard on SSPX or set of a contest don't realize is there's a subjective component to error, mortal moral error. If these people are just doing the best they can, okay, and yes, there are some breaches of obedience, I believe, but except. I believe the people that are doing, maybe not not with full intellectual clarity, not with full principle of non-contradiction at, at their backs, they're doing their best to pick up the pieces in a church rather than just living as I live. And I'm like, I don't understand the way the church has operated for 50 to 60 years. We are parish orphans. I don't look at any one prelate as our savior. I, you know, I, I, think, I think you tend more to that. You're looking at the archbishop. I just say the church is more messed up now. We haven't been rescued by anyone, uh, prelate. Anyone that does something good, the next day does something bad. Or maybe in Lefebvre's case, you would say you did something bad at first, then something good. But there is no Thomas More in the church in the last 50 years. None that, that could preponderate his efforts. So we're kind of just parish orphans. So we're kind of just doing our best. And anyway even though we disagree on this issue that we've discussed the last 45 minutes, you're always, you're one of the few guys out there that's saying what I truly believe, which is like, let's not come down so hard on what you take to be, you know, Novus Ordo Catholics on SSPX, on SSPV, on set of a contest, because this stuff is not at all clear and it's not at all simple. I'll give you the last word, Joe. You're a good man. Thank you. You too. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, it's my. Uh, I I don't necessarily agree that we don't, we don't have something like a Thomas More. I do think Lefebvre gave us that. Although I probably make the uh, the comparison more to Athanasius than I would to Thomas More because of the circumstances. But um, I, I just uh, yeah, the, we I I do think that's an important point. We have to be gracious with people that are uh, trying to feel it out and trying to going through the process of trying to understand probably the most you know unprecedented crisis in church history. Um, and, uh, you know, be patient with yourself, all of that. Uh, and, um, I, I do think, and it, to, to go harken back to Malachi Barton for a sec, um, vis-a-vis authentic Catholicism, which you and I both recognize, um, uh, Barton said insofar as they make, and we know they are, uh, insofar as they make concessions, it's because of Archbishop Lefebvre. Uh, he believed that. I believe that. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm just, I'm grateful that there was, you know, a cleric after this whole fallout of Vatican II, after this whole catastrophe that um, I don't have time for. Uh, and I'm not, I don't give any grace to clerics that uh, deliberately, you know, gave us stones when we asked for bread, but the ones that at least tried to give us bread when we asked for it, I, uh, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I am grateful to Lefebvre for that reason, because and, uh, if, if only, if, and well, definitely not if only, but at least two for personal reasons, I've been, uh, if, you know, if anybody knows about me, I've been going to mass for about nine years, all nine of which were um, the traditional Latin mass. And I would never have taken Catholicism seriously if it if it hadn't been for what we see with traditional catholicism and uh you know well the the ss you know being able to go to an sspx chapel i mean i i i don't even think i would have considered uh being faithful so that's uh that's how i'd like to end it and uh you know of course i appreciate you having me on i always really enjoy it would you just say a final word you always put it so eloquently say a final word on 
um, the argument for open it's a it's a gay term that the big establishment republicans use fake and gay but big tent right-wing catholicism i mean maybe not that we can unite the clans or tribes or whatever it's called but but um because there's still going to be the disagreements about technicalities but why should we kind of cut all of the different tribes a wide berth you know, make, make that your, cause you always talk about this on text and I'm like, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I gave my best salvo for it two minutes ago. You, you sure. close on your best sell. Why should, why should everyone be nice to each other that really does like authentic Catholicism that doesn't like go make a difference? Thought it, thought right. I mean, uh, diabolical disorientation. We know what we're dealing with. Um, right. I, 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 uh, I'm of the belief that there will be, you know, the saints on all sides belief. That's something I, I ascribe to, right? I, I, I think if a guy, you know, goes to a fraternity parish in good faith, I probably wouldn't go to one. But if a guy goes to a fraternity parish or an institute parish in good faith or a diocesan Latin mass in, in good faith or perhaps a Novus Ordo, uh, as unlikely as it is these days, um, uh, society. And like I said, I do as, as much as as much as they will extend it to somebody like me or somebody like you or anybody anybody who's honest in this entire thing and i think that's the most important thing is um if if i if i could see or if everybody could see that you're actually trying right and you right. and you're trying your best to be as you know intellectually consistent as you as you possibly could be if that's what you're doing and you arrive at a different conclusion than me or a different conclusion than you so on and so forth i mean i could who couldn't respect that and anybody who doesn't i mean i i, I don't suspect that that person would be of goodwill right, right. but right. as far as i'm but as far as i'm concerned if we could all have if i could have a disagreement with you and you could have a disagreement with somebody else and we can all at least meet at a um uh, in charity and in honesty charity and honesty because you don't want to we don't want to gloss over these things right but um we also um, being being kind to one another and being friends uh, and and agree you know disagreeing are not mutually exclusive they're em eminently possible right so I think that is uh, you know that is what I see as, as the criteria I would just as quickly have a have a, a cordial conversation with somebody who attends a society of St Pius V mass or uh, or or so on or a fraternity mass or or you I, I'm more than happy to to do any of that and anybody who anybody who is um, angry at a particular position because of the position itself. I see this. Uh, I see this in relation to uh, a contest, especially um, that are just angry at a conclusion for um, whatever reason. Um, anybody, anybody who's angry or, or uh, you know, afraid of a, a, a certain conclusion being true, uh, that, that I frankly think is silly. But uh, anybody who could come together um, in good faith, that I, I'm a hundred and 110 percent uh about that for sure i know yeah the, there it is i knew you could yeah, yeah i'm sorry i need to art articulate it a little better no yeah. no, no i i <laughs> what you said doubles for me i mean this is why i think people gloss over this term parish orphans that i've kind of coined it's so powerful like look man whether you're sspv or sspx or set of a contest or any kind of person that loves the Roman Catholic faith that loves Jesus in the sacrament of the Eucharist that makes you a, a Roman Catholic, you know, under you was not non-schismatic Roman or whatever, uh, a non-Orthodox 
lover of the Eucharist. You're a parish orphan. Your fathers have abandoned you. And that, that's where I'm, I, I guess I'm the most radical. I'm just like, look, we, our fathers have abandoned us and we are doing the best we can. Soloviev, the great Russian mystic who was an Eastern North, a Russian Orthodox, told Dostoevsky, the reason you cut Roman Catholic slack, because both of them dislike him, was because there is a need for Papa. Without Papa to call the brothers to the table, there will be incessant squabbling. That's Soloviev. You can go look it up. That's an orthodox understanding the need for patriarchy. In this case, clerical patriarchy. You, he, they promise us in scripture that there will be squabbling among the brothers of the table, like the, the groups we're talking about, Joe. It's a guarantee from heaven. There will be squabbling if you don't have a strong hierarchy. And, and that's if they're just weak. If the hierarchy actually goes into some sort of low-key apostasy, which is what I believe it is, over the last 50 or 60 years, then it's even worse. So let's not cut each other's throats here. And you're like, you're always pointing out, set of contests include, and now they, they, they come with some hot rhetoric sometime, but it's like, these are still people. They're not like Muslims or Hindus to us. These are still people that love Jesus, love Jesus in the Eucharist, love the sacraments, I, in my estimation, they're confused. By their estimation, I'm confused. But I, I do agree with everything you said. And, and you you always put it so eloquently. And um, yeah, you're just 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 a good dude. That's why we have good good discussions on this uh, channel with you and me. My pleasure always. All right, bro. Well, everyone out there, like, subscribe. Please give a thumbs up. Uh, give, give the thumbs up, meaning like it. Subscribe, click the notification bell. We got to get out of here. Be back. Can I? Uh, can I be the worst and plug something or no? Yeah. So, just uh, Kennedy Hall and I are doing. A, we have a base podcast where we talk about books. So it's mostly just uh, we've been covering C.S. Lewis. We'll be going on a Thomas Sowell. That's on iTunes and uh, Spotify. And we'll be doing uh, a, sh a show on his channel called uh, Base Catholicism. It's on the Kennedy Report. So look for me there and look for Kennedy. We're looking forward to doing it. I appreciate your uh, willingness here. Thank you so yeah, much, Jim. You should, yeah. So everyone check out the base podcast and uh, you should bring Kennedy on this show and we'll talk about what based Catholicism is sometimes. I would, I would love him. it. Go yeah. get him. And I would uh, love it. Yeah. Cause I, I, I respect uh, Kennedy. I, I, you know, having, having, you know, grab bag positions kind of like I do among trads. I, I respect that a lot. Yeah. Uh, good, good work. Yeah, you can always plug stuff on this channel when you come on there. Thank you, Tim. You're one of the greats. <laughs> God bless you all, people. Deus Volt. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.